Today we are sharing on Deuteronomy chapter 30, and um, there's going to be some, some tough stuff we're going to be dealing with too, uh, so if you don't mind, I'd like to start off um, before I begin to speak uh, with just a word of prayer. Um, heads. God, I want to thank you so much for, uh, for the journey of, of learning that we're able to, to go on with you and uh, to know that um, uh, our journey isn't through, that we're constantly moving forward with you and, and that we're always learning something. And God, I just pray that you would give us the humility to, uh, to be teachable, the humility to uh, to, to come out of our own comfort zones and come out of our own comfortability and, and, and face the reality of, of the fact that we don't always know everything and that uh, we do have so much uh, more to go and, and so much more room to grow, God. And I just pray that uh, we would let your Holy Spirit into our hearts and that, uh, that your power and, and, and your love would change us and that we would be better image bearers of of the amazing task and responsibility of, of being the hands and feet and love of Jesus in, in the world around us. So God, I just pray that uh, as I begin to speak, that your words would f- speak through me and that, uh, that it would not be my words, but your words, and that you would cut out and add whatever you need to, uh, to do, God. But, but please uh, send your Holy Spirit here among us and give us the opportunity to receive the word today, God. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, um, we're continuing in our story uh, today in our series, The Greatest Story, The Unexpected Narrative of Jesus. And if you haven't been with us uh, recently, if you haven't been with us throughout the last couple of months, um, you'll know, or you won't know, but we'll we'll tell you that the the series that we're going through right now uh, is a series that explores Genesis all the way through Revelation. Uh, We started uh, way back in September, we started in Genesis, and and, and right now we're finishing Deuteronomy, uh, and we're going to be moving on to the book of Joshua. And so... um, so we're just going through this amazing journey of, of, of learning and exploring the Bible, really kind of tackling some of the questions that we find, some of the stories that we may not be all too familiar with, uh, and, and really seeing the way that God interacts with people in the Bible, the way that God kind of comes down and, and reveals to us a message that is sometimes contrary to what we believe, contrary to what we're comfortable, uh, contrary to what society tells us and, and, and our social expectations, and how God often flips around a narrative and flips our expectations to reveal to us uh, the real nature of his love, uh, which, is, which is really amazing as we're exploring. But uh, today's our last sermon on the book of Deuteronomy, and, and we're going to be talking a bit about the third of three core beliefs in the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy has three core beliefs, uh, and we're going to recap just quickly. If you haven't been with us for the last couple of weeks, uh, we're going to recap Deuteronomy, all, all 30 however many uh, chapters we've been through. Uh, But the book of Deuteronomy is part of Moses' final address to the people of Israel. Um, Moses knows that he's not going to be entering into the promised land. He's going to be passing away before he gets there. Um, The Israelites have just finished wandering for 40 years around the desert. They've done this entire uh, journey. They've been been freed from Egypt. They they came to the promised land. They weren't ready to take it. They wandered 40 years. They're coming back now. And, um, And Moses knows 
and that because he's not going to be going with them, he needs to address them before they move on. Uh, there's going to be new leadership coming in. Joshua's going to be taking over Israel and kind of leading and being kind of the, the same type of leader that Moses was. So Moses takes this opportunity before they cross to address them and to remind them of a couple of different things. And Moses renews at this point in time, he renews Israel's covenant. Uh, this, this promised covenant that was made between God and Abraham, God and Isaac, God and Jacob, God and the nation of Israel. And so Moses here in Deuteronomy is renewing the covenant promises and reminding them. And he's drawing their memories back to reflect, reflect on the miracles and the wonders that God has performed for them, uh, how God had delivered them from Egypt, how God had protected them on their journey uh, throughout the desert and the big things and the small things, as we kind of explored last week. And, uh, and after Moses reminds them of all of this stuff, he gives them God's commandments again. He reminds them of, of the commandments we first are introduced to in Exodus chapter 20, and he instructs Israel to love their God. These are the, the main three things. Love their God, obey his commandments, and serve God faithfully. Those are the three principles throughout the entire book of Deuteronomy is love, obedience, and service. And Moses, what he does throughout the book is he outlines that each of those three things, love, obedience, and service, are a worship response to the goodness that we've already experienced from God. They're They're not mandatory things. They're not things that God says, you have to do these things or else. God says, I have already blessed you. And so this is, this is what the natural result of receiving God's blessings is. Uh, Moses says, we, we respond through love, obedience, and service because God has already done these good things. It's our worship response to God. And so Moses highlights to this that we are not commanded to love, obey, and serve, but that instead we should be inspired to love, obey, and serve. Right? Not commanded, but inspired to love, obey, and serve. And, and, and these three things, we don't do them so that we can avoid punishment. We don't do them so we can avoid the, the consequences. But the reason that we do these things, like I said, is a natural response of worship to God. Right? Loving God, obeying his commandments, giving back in our tithes, in our time, in our talents, and serving God and the community around us are all worship responses. The entire, the entire Bible is rooted in this. The entire Bible is rooted in the fact that it's a worship response to God. If if we have at all ever experienced God's blessings in our lives, uh, our response of thanks should be to worship through love and obedience and service. And, and that's what all of this is for. Our entire church, our entire service, our entire, uh, the, the music, the preaching, the tithing, everything is, is, is all a worship response. We don't do it to be saved. Let's understand that we don't do it to be saved, but rather we do it because we are saved. Okay, you understand the difference, right? We don't do it to be saved, but we do it because we are already saved. So we keep that in mind as, as we go throughout our reading today in Deuteronomy chapter 30, and we're starting from verse 1, um, and it'll be available up there on the screen for you if, uh, if you don't have your Bibles uh, with you, but Deuteronomy chapter 30, starting from verse uh, 1, it says this, When all of the blessings and curses I have set before you come on you, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything I command to you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all of the nations where he scattered you. Even if you've been banished to the most distant lands under the heavens from there where the Lord, uh, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. 
He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all of your heart and with all of your souls and, and, and all of your lives, all of your life. The Lord your God will put all of these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord uh, and follow his commands that I am giving you today. Verse 9 says, Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all of the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous, just as he delighted in your ancestors. If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commandments and decrees that are written in the book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, now that I'm commanding you, to, no, no, sorry, now what, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach, Moses says. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it, nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. He says, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. So we're nearing the end of the book of, 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 of Deuteronomy. We're nearing the end of Moses' speech to, to Israel. And he tells them this. He says, when? He doesn't say if. He says, eventually when? Because they're naturally uh, attracted to all these other gods. They're naturally prone to worship everything else except for the one God, Yahweh. So he says, when? When you have turned away from God, when you have worshipped other gods, when you have rejected the one who has delivered you from Egypt, when you have reaped all of the curses and natural side effects of choosing powerless gods, if you turn back to God, he will accept you. He says, when you do all of these things, God will still take you back. He says, your past disobedience and your past sinfulness, God does not take that into account when he takes you back. He doesn't say, wait a minute, you've done all of this, I can't accept you. He doesn't say, wait a minute, you've gone here, I can't take you back. God says, I will take you back no matter where you've been, no matter how far you've been from me. God does not hold our past against us. And Moses says this, he says, even though the nation may be scattered among the four corners of the earth, he says, God will bring you back together. God will bring you back when you turn back to him and worship. And, and, and you'll see this throughout the Bible because this, the scattering of the nation, the dispersing of a nation is this very strong imagery that the Bible often turns to because it's meant to be a symbol of the destruction of unity. It's meant to be a symbol of the destruction of the nation because the nation is 12 different tribes coming together, 12 brothers coming together. And so the scattering of the brothers is this symbol of like this destruction, this terrible thing that can happen. It's a symbol of the removal of the promised land blessings that God gives for them. And then Moses says that even though we may be in the midst of our sin and rebellion, even though we may be in the deepest, darkest places, so long as we call out to God, God will draw us from wherever we are. And then in verse 15, Moses paints this picture. 
for us. He gives us this another imagery. He, he, for, for at least for me and my mentality, it's kind of like a fork in the road. Uh, Moses says we have two paths laid before us. We have two options. He says one path is life and prosperity. The other path is death and destruction. And then Moses says in verse 16, he says this, For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then, then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Moses says that when we obey, when we listen, when we love, when we serve, that's how we choose the path of life. He says there are two paths, path of life and prosperity, the path of death and destruction. And so he says, the choice is laid out for you, Israel. And Moses says that to us too. He says, the choice is laid out for us. And throughout the book, if you read the, the entire book of Deuteronomy, throughout the book, Moses shows us how loving God, obeying God, and serving God leads us onto the path of life. And he shows us also how hatred and disobedience and rebellion lead us onto the path of death. And so Moses asks Israel, he begs them, he implores them. He says, please love, obey, and serve, and choose the path of life. That's what our first lesson for today is. Our first lesson is choose life. Yeah. Choose life. Yeah. See, the thing about these two paths is that God has given us all the information that we need. Okay, God informs us fully as to what our choices are. He, he, he means for us to choose the path of life. And he tells us, what does it mean to choose the path of life? He tells us what, what, what the natural uh, benefits and blessings of choosing the path of life are. He outlines it. And he also informs us fully what it means to choose the path of death and destruction. He, he tells us what that leads to. And it's the same choice. Uh, ultimately, it's the same choice that was given to Adam and Eve at the very beginning of the story of Genesis. Right? He gives them the path of life and prosperity and the path of death and destruction. And he says, I've told you everything. I've told you everything you need to know to make an informed decision, but it is up to you to make that choice. You have the freedom of choice. And unfortunately, unfortunately for us as humans, part of the path that we're on was already chosen for us long ago. Right? We, we know that Adam and Eve both chose the path of death and destruction. They gave in to the lies of the enemy, and they chose the path of death. And, and so all that we see now is a result of the path that we've been kind of pushed on, the path that was chosen for us a long time ago. What we see now is the death and the sin, the destruction, the disease, the sorrow. All of that is what the path of death has. It's, it's what the path of death leads to. But even though the choice was made for us a long time ago, even though we didn't directly get to choose to be born into a sinful world or not, the sacrifice of Jesus does something incredible. Okay. Because what Jesus does on the cross and what he did on the cross gives us now, again, the opportunity to choose which path we go on. You know, Paul says it in Romans 5. He says, there was a choice made a long time ago. And he says, this choice that Adam made brought death to all mankind. He says, through one man's choice, death came to all mankind. But then Paul says, but also through another man's choice, there was life for all mankind. What he's saying, Adam chose death and brought death for all of us, brought sin into the world. But Jesus' choice, the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross, makes it possible for us to make that choice ourselves and get to choose life. So the choice is set before us again. We can continue in all of this. 
We can continue in the death and destruction of the sorrow, or through the sacrifice of Jesus, we get to choose again, and we can choose to follow Jesus onto the path of life. And sometimes, sometimes it feels like the path we're on isn't all that bad. Am I right? Because half of our lives, half of our day is spent in, in seeking comforts for ourselves, right? Half of us work for, for making our lives more comfortable, to be able to afford the things that we have. So we try to make this, this life as comfortable as we possibly can. And so sometimes this path doesn't seem all that bad. But we can't deny that there is still evil in the world. We can't deny that there are still people out there suffering at the loss of loved ones, suffering from disease, suffering from pain, suffering from oppression. And no matter how comfortable we try to make this path, no matter how comfortable we try to make this world, it pales in comparison to the beauty and comfort and prosperity that God has for us on the path of life. Choose life. That's what Moses is saying. The choice is before us, and that's the choice that Jesus gives to us with his sacrifice. He says, choose life. And Moses says this in verse 11. He says, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. He says, it's not up in heaven so that someone should ask who's going to go up there and bring it down. He says, it's not across the sea that someone should ask who's going to go there and bring it towards us. He says, no, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart so that you may obey it. Moses says this, he says, it's an easy choice, guys. He says, it's laid out before us. But if you're like me, and if you've ever struggled at all with sin, you'll know that it's not that easy of a choice. Am I right? It's not always the easiest choice to choose the path of life. It's a hard choice. And the reason it's a hard choice is, it be, is because it requires us to continually choose to fight against some of our natural sinful tendencies. Yeah, we have this tendency to be sinful. We have this tendency to choose wrong. And the reason it's a hard choice is because we have, we have to fight against ourselves. But it becomes an easier choice it becomes an easier choice when we choose to focus on Jesus instead of our deficiencies. When we choose to focus on Jesus instead of what we cannot do. The choice becomes easier as we let the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit transform our hearts and lead our lives onto the path of life. See, the transformation of the Holy Spirit is not going to be an instantaneous thing. We're going to have to choose the path of life every moment. Every action and every decision is going to be, have to be made towards the path of life if that's the path we choose to be on. But as the Holy Spirit begins the work in our lives, as he begins to transform us, as we become to, to draw closer to Jesus and, and have a better relationship with him, choosing the path of life becomes an easier choice. And it becomes easier to choose life more frequently. And the first step, the first step to choosing the path of life is to love God as a worship response to his goodness in our life. That's the first step to choosing the path of life. Love God as a worship response to the goodness of God in our lives. Once we begin to love God, then the other two principles in Deuteronomy become part of our own mission, right? Love leads us into obedience and obedience leads us into service. And this is what our second lesson for today is. Our mission is service. Our second lesson is our mission is service. See, the three core principles 
at the heart of the book of Deuteronomy is this, love, obedience, and service. Love, obedience, and service. We love God for what he's done for us, and we obey out of our love response to God, and our obedience leads us into service. And service of God requires activity. Listen to this. Service of God requires activity. It is not enough for us to just love and obey. We need all three principles. Love, obedience, service. Right? And we're in service of God and in service of mankind. And we need, we need the third one, especially service. We can't just love and obey. We need service. And service requires activity because our mission is service. And if you're wondering what service is, if you're wondering what that looks like, what, what, how it's represented, we can read it here in Isaiah chapter 61. It'll be up there on the screen for you, so you don't have to uh, turn Isaiah 61, starting from verse 1, just two verses. It says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Amen. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. That's my favorite part to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Yes. That's our mission, to bind up the brokenhearted, to free the captives, to release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And it's the same mission that Jesus says he comes to fulfill in Luke chapter 4. Jesus does this in two different ways. He preaches it in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he says, today it's fulfilled in your hearing. He says, today I have come to fulfill this mission. This is the mission to bind up the brokenhearted, to release from darkness from the, for, for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus does this in two different ways. First, he conquers sin and death. He dies on the cross and he resurrects to conquer sin and death. And so then doing that, he brings us the opportunity to choose life and to choose a life of freedom from sin and from darkness. But another way, a second way that Jesus does this and fulfills his mission is he also physically comes to free the people enslaved by sickness and disease and enslaved by the oppressive systems and the broken leadership around them. He frees them from this system of religion that was broken, that was flawed, that led them into further enslavement to themselves and further enslavement to guilt. He came to free them, to set the captives free. And the second part is what we can focus on, because there's nothing inherently we can do to bring freedom from sin and darkness. We can't do that ourselves, right? We can't free people from sin. We can't free people from darkness. The only thing we can do to that respect is by pointing them first to Jesus and showing them the love of a Savior who can free them from sin and darkness. But what we can do is this. We can work in our community around us to bring about social, political, and economic healing in the world around us. We are called, we, we, we saw this last week in our sermon, we are called to care for the marginalized, to fight the systems of oppression that the enemy puts into place. Our fight as Christians, our fight as ministers of the gospel, because everyone here is a minister of the gospel. Everyone here is called to preach the gospel to all four corners of the earth. Our fight then for the gospel is a fight against sin, a fight against poverty, a, a fight against starvation, a fight against sex trafficking, a fight against sexism, a fight against racism and the brokenness of this world, any form of mistreatment and equality. That's our fight. Do you guys realize that? That that's our fight it's not enough to be complacent. It's not enough to shake our heads at these things. It's not enough to just sit in silence. Our fight is against those things actively. 
to choose in our own lives to fight against those systems in ourselves and to fight against those systems in the world around us. Our mission is service. That's our mission. And our mission is to expand God's kingdom on earth by healing the brokenness of the world around us. And sometimes, sometimes healing the brokenness means actively fighting against the sexist and racist systems of oppression that the world around us has. We need to fix the brokenness, fix the brokenness of a world where people have more reason to be afraid of gathering together in a church than they do of expressing their racist ideologies. We need to fix the brokenness of a world where rape is excused based on the amount of skin that someone was showing. We need to fix the brokenness of a world where young men and women find suicide an easier option than coming out as gay or lesbian or trans or bi. And I know this last one is a hot issue in the Christian world today. And, 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 and right now, we're not talking about the practice of homosexuality. We're not talking about whether it's a sin or not, because the conversation we need to have first, the conversation we need to start with is, are we loving and accepting people that are different from us? Because we can't start that conversation of whether or not it's a sin, because there are literally people out there in the world that are killing themselves over the fact that they don't find the acceptance in the community of followers of Jesus. Over half, did you know that over half of LGBT plus youth in Canada have thought about suicide? Over half. Over 33% of LGBT plus youth in Canada have attempted suicide, compared to only 7% of heterosexual youth in Canada. Whether or not it's sinful is not the conversation we need to start when their first option is suicide overcoming how we need to be love and acceptance. Our mission is service. That's our mission. And that means being the love of Jesus by creating a world, by creating a world where the president of the United States can't call neo-Nazis good people and get away with it. And I'm going to talk about racism here for just for a bit because it's, 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 it's Black History Month today. And unfortunately, it has to be this month because, because we live in a world that is so catered and, and so racist and so anti any people of color that we need to establish our own institutes and our own institutions to be able to bring up what other people are trying to oppress. And, and I'm talking about this racism today because even though we have made progress in the last 50 years, we still haven't gone far enough because there are still black men and women being gunned down in the streets for no other reason than that their blackness looks suspicious. Because a person felt comfortable enough to drive almost across the country to drive a sword through an innocent black person in the middle of New York. Because this week, literally this week, an Alabama newspaper editor felt safe enough in his bigotry to publish an editorial calling for the KKK to clean out the government through lynches and torches. It is not enough for us just to shake our head at this behavior. Our mission is service. And that means that it is, it is, it is, it is our gospel responsibility to care for the marginalized and to fight the systems of oppression that the enemy puts into place. Our fight is against sin, poverty, 
sex trafficking, sexism, racism, racism, and any other form of oppression and inequality. Because love does not tolerate sexism. Love does not tolerate racism. Love does not tolerate homophobia. Love does not tolerate oppression. Love does not tolerate injustice. Love does not tolerate hate. And I recognize that for some people, this may be an uncomfortable topic because we don't want to recognize in ourselves our own systems of oppression. We don't rec- want to recognize that we have our own subconscious prejudices and racisms. But in order to fight against racism in any other form of oppression that is fundamentally anti-God, we need to acknowledge not only the brokenness of the world around us, but we need to acknowledge our own brokenness as well. You know, Austin Channing Brown wrote in her book, Um, fantastic book. I recommend reading it. Uh, it's called I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. Um, you may be wondering um, what gender and, and, and race the author is. And, and she talks about it in her book. Uh, she talks about that the reason her parents gave her that name, it's a female. Um, the reason her parents gave her that name, Austin Channing Brown, is because they were afraid that as she grew up, she would be discriminated against for being a, a, a person of color, a black female. So they gave her a name that sounded white so that she could get her first foot in the door. And she says this. She says, we're afraid that acknowledging the past will tighten the chains of injustice rather than break them. She says, we live as if the ghosts of the past will snatch us if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So instead, we talk around the valley. Instead, we walk around the valley. We speak of the valley with cute euphemisms. We've let the chaos of evil go on far too long in the world around us. It is time that we recognize evil for what it is and actively work to fight against racism and sexism and all other forms of oppression in our society and in our own personal lives. And listen to this. This part is very important. This part is so important. Uh, Robin DiAngelo, she, she received her PhD from Washington University on multicultural education. Fantastic book that I just finished reading this week, actually. She teaches classes on multicultural teaching, uh, intergroup dialogue facilitation, cultural diversity and social justice, and anti-racist education. And she wrote this in her 2018 book. Uh, the book is called White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Race. An amazing book for any person, any person. She says this, she says, racism is not just a prejudice or discrimination. She talks about prejudice uh, being an automatic discrimination or, or, or feelings of negativity towards any person that is different than you. And she talks about uh, discrimination then uh, being acts of, of, of violence or, or towards any other person then based on our prejudice. But she says this, racism is not just prejudice or discrimination. It is much bigger than just a general feeling of dislike or trust. This is important. She says, racism is the continued perpetuation of a system and society designed to strip away the right to be treated equal. Her next quote, because it continues on fantastic, she says this, racism like sexism and any other form of oppression occurs when a racial group's prejudice is backed by legal authority and institutional control. This authority and control transforms individual prejudices into a far-reaching system that no longer depends on the good deeds of individual actors. It becomes the default of society and is reproduced automatically. Racism is a system, not just prejudice or discrimination. 
It is a system. And in her book, she talks about the problem with the way we view racism today. She says we tend to have this, this, this view of racism in binary terms. You guys know what binary is? Binary is kind of like computer code, like ones or zeros. It's, it's either one it's, it's, or the other. It's on or it's off. She says we tend to view the world and racism in binary terms. You're either one or the other. You either are racist or you aren't racist. But she's saying that, that we define often a, a racist as a person who dislikes someone based on the color of their skin and then acts in a discriminatory and violent way towards people of that color. And she says, she says we do that And then we thus excuse ourselves from the problem of racism, from the problem of sex, and from any other form of oppression, because we don't act violently towards those people. She says we excuse ourselves in, the, in those ways. But she says racism is far uglier and far more complicated than just defining it based on violent actions. She says society throughout the centuries has created a system that is inherently racism. We are socialized to that system. Thus, Being born into that system influences us towards, towards racism, whether or not we like it. And so she says we cannot define ourselves as being racist or not, because it's not binary, it's not one or the other. She says it's a spectrum. She says humans are inherently judgmental and prone to conscious and subconscious prejudice, and thus we fall into a spectrum of racism or sexism or homophobia or whatever other form of oppression you want to substitute in there. She says, where sometimes our actions, even though unintentional, are passively and inherently racist or sexist. She says, our responsibility is this. It's not in justifying how unracist we are, but rather recognizing in ourselves our own racism and actively working to combat racism in our lives and in the systems around us. You know, a slave cannot be freed unless they are first willing to recognize that they are a slave in need of freedom. Our own ignorance, our own unwillingness to admit our faults, conscious or subconscious, enslaves us to continue to perpetuate a system and society of racism. It is only when we recognize the racism of our past, of our systems, of our own personal prejudices and racisms, that we can begin to work to release the bonds of oppression. It is not enough. It is not enough to disapprove in silence. We must stand up against the injustices that we see around us. And it is only when we acknowledge our own contribution to injustice that we can begin to do the work of God and bring about freedom. Our mission is service. To serve the world is to do the work of God. And for us to effectively serve the world, we must first acknowledge our own brokenness. And this is our final lesson for today. Brokenness leads to healing. It is only when we acknowledge our own brokenness that God can begin the lifelong process of healing our lives and helping us heal the world and the people around us through that process. We don't need to be perfect to heal the world. We don't need to be perfect to heal the world. The opposite is true. We need to acknowledge our own imperfections before we begin to fulfill our mission of service. And just like racism and sexism and any other form of oppression isn't binary, sin isn't binary either. We aren't either sinners or not sinners. 
I'm sure most of you guys will probably agree with that, that our very nature is sinfulness and that our actions differ between sinful actions and non-sinful actions, but that our lives are on a spectrum of sinfulness. That sometimes we are, sometimes we aren't. That's, that's the wrong way to think of it. We live on this spectrum of sinfulness. But as we allow, as we allow the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts, as we allow the love of Jesus to have influence over our lives, as we choose the path of life, our lives are pushed forward towards the spectrum of good. You know, perfection is, is something that we're never going to be able to attain here on earth. And it's, it's something that we'll definitely never be able to attain on our own. But as we allow God to influence our lives, he begins to heal what sin has broken in our lives. But the thing first, the thing is, if we deny our own brokenness, we will never find need of a savior. If we deny our brokenness, we will never find need of a savior. Brokenness leads to healing. And through our brokenness, through his healing, God begins to reveal his love to the world around us. I want to invite the band to come on up as we close today. But we have set before us, this is what God gives us, we have set before us two choices. God says, choose life and prosperity or choose death and destruction. And this is the message that Moses has for us and the message that I have for myself and for hopefully every one of us. The message is choose life. You know, God has laid out both paths and he has given us all the information we need to make appropriate decisions. How we live our lives then and how we respond to God's goodness determines what path we choose. We choose the path of life as we love and as we, as we obey and as we serve our God and, and as a worship response to what he has already done in our lives. Choosing life also means choosing service. And this is what God has called us to do. Our mission is service. Our mission is to advance God's kingdom on earth, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in a world that needs him more than ever. We are called to proclaim good news to the poor, Isaiah 61, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And service requires activity. It is not enough for us to just love and obey. Our mission is service. And so our fight becomes against sin, poverty, sexism, racism, and any other form of mistreatment and inequality and oppression that we find in the world around us. But our first step, our first step in fulfilling our mission is to recognize our own sexism, our own racism, and our own sin because brokenness leads to healing. It is through our weakness that Jesus works all the more powerfully. As we give over our lives to God, as the Spirit begins to work in us, it makes it easier for us to choose the path of life. And it is through the sacrifice of Jesus, through the blood that he spilled on the cross, that we find our healing. And this is what the commission of Deuteronomy is. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. To obey the Lord our God and keep his commandments as a response of worship to his goodness. And to choose the path of life by serving him and the world with all of our heart and with all of our soul. This is our gospel, the good news of a savior who has come to set all things right. A savior who is starting that process with us.
here and now. And therefore, the Lord says this. He says, therefore, I set before you life and prosperity, death and destruction. Choose life. Amen.